So last year, um, a lot of things happened last year. Um, Paramount Pictures released a movie called A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place, which sounds like, from the title, a slow, dull, boring movie, right? But it's actually, it's actually a thriller. It's quite scary. Um, the story goes, the year is 2020, and most of humanity and most of the animals in the world have been wiped out by these creatures from unknown origin. The monsters attack anything that makes the slightest noise, the slightest sound. Literally any sound you make, you'll be dead. So silence is of the essence. You have to laugh in silence, cry in silence, dance in silence, even give birth in silence. The main family in this film, the Abbots, uh, they're, they're a young married couple who fight to survive with their sons, with their son and daughter in this post-ravaged world as monsters lurk in the deep and dark woods. The Abbots attempt to live at all costs the most normal and natural kind of life they can. Cooking, cleaning, eating and dancing, all without, mind you, making a sound. But amidst this chaotic, scary thriller, there's another story. Because it is, uh, if you do watch it, don't watch it with your children. It is scary. It's not a quiet place. It's far from it. Missed all the huh! sort of moments. That there's another story that is pretty clear on the surface. It's a story of a father's undying love for his children. All throughout the movie, the children make mistakes, but the father shows compassion. The children get scared, so the father protects them and makes them feel safe. The children are anxious, so the father comforts them and gives them hope. And I think the reason that people are drawn to that story, drawn, pulled in to that narrative, is the wonderful thought of a father who is unbelievably zealous to defend, deliver, and delight in those who belong to him. And you know, when we open up the Bible, we learn about a father who is in heaven, one who far outweighs any earthly father's ability to love and show compassion to his children. And so my prayer this morning for all of us is that in this text that we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, that you'll get a glimpse of this benevolent Father who provides what His children need. I want to camp out on this text this morning by one simple point. So not three, not two, not seven, one. Just one. Easy enough, right? And I suppose it might be a shorter sermon, but it probably won't be. <laughs> and here's the main point. Trusting your heavenly father. Trusting your heavenly father. So that's where we're going. And before we do, let's now look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come now as needy, sinful, selfish people 
who are in this room with a hundred different stories and a hundred different feelings. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for Jesus' sake, amen. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine you're in your bed, which some of you probably wish you were there. Imagine you're in your bed. You wake up. And at the foot of your bed, as your eyes are starting to focus, you can see someone standing there, which is pretty creepy. But all your fears disappear when all of a sudden you realize it's Jesus himself standing at the foot of your bed. And you're freaked out, rightly so. You're shocked. You don't know what to say. It's Jesus standing at the foot of my bed. I must be dreaming. What's going on here? And to make matters even more intense, Jesus points right at you. He says your name. Me? And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, to him who seeks, finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. And then, just like that, he vanishes. And you're kind of going, what was that about? Well, I better be late. I got to get going. I got to be late for work. So, out the door, you know, take your shower, grab your coffee, And as you're driving to work or taking the train, you step back and you go, you know, actually, that's a pretty good gig. Wow. Ask. Voila. It's mine. No strings attached. That's a pretty good gig. Knock on every door of opportunity. Open sesame, baby. Woo. This is going to be, this is Bruce Almighty on steroids. This is great. All I got to do is ask. Now, I know that's a bit ridiculous, but when you hear this passage, or maybe you've read this passage, I wonder what your mind inserts there. Ask and be given to you, seeking to find, knocking, there will be open. I wonder where your mind goes. In other words, sometimes we picture in our minds what we want or what we desire. Then we go to this passage and see it as a promise which guarantees results. So you want to be married. It's not a bad desire. You ask, you pray, you seek, and you knock. Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Fantastic never shows up. What happened? Where is God? Or you want a promotion at work. And so you pray. It says ask. So you pray. And you work hard. You pray some more. You talk to your spouse about it and they pray with you. Maybe even you fast. And the promotion goes to someone else. Where's God? Or perhaps your spouse gets cancer. 
or dementia or some awful debilitating disease. And you pray like crazy. Yet it still ends in tragedy. Where's God? Do you notice in our text that Matthew doesn't say what door will be opened? That Matthew does not say or indicate precisely what will be given? Nor does Matthew say what will be found for those who seek what? Friends, if we're not careful, we can slip into this verse what we desire and then end up disappointed when we seek for it and never find it. When we ask for it and we don't get it. When we knock on that door until our knuckles are bloody and raw and the door seems to be locked shut. And perhaps months later, maybe a few years down the track, you might not say this out loud, but you feel pretty ripped off and disappointed with God. Because he hasn't answered one of your prayers. Maybe some of you feel that way this morning. You've been asking, seeking, knocking, and where is God? So what do we do? Is this a cheap promise given to us? Is this just wishful thinking in Matthew 7? No, I want us to look carefully at verses 8 and 9 because verses 8 and 9 are not all that we're given. If they were all that we were given, then we might have a reason to sort of feel ripped off. But they're not all that we're given. We're not just given ask, you know, etc., etc. And then Jesus says, bye-bye, see you later. Come on, start, go, start asking, come on. No, no, no. They come to us in a train of thought, in a context, right? If we keep on reading, we give it a picture of a father who actually cares for his children and knows what's best for them. Let's look at the text. See what I'm talking about here. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, I think it goes without saying that we need to persevere in prayer. You've probably heard that before. It's probably not the first time you've heard that. Interesting choice of words here. Do you see them? You see the verbs stacked one on top of the other? Ask, seek, knock. And these are all imperatives as well. They're, Jesus is commanding us, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. You get the sense that prayer is meant to be a continued thing. Uh, we, we need to ask and, and ask some more and ask again. But I wonder if the emphasis here has more to do with the Heavenly Father's goodness than our persistence. 
Yes, it's true. When you read Luke 18 and verses like 1 Thessalonians 5, it says things like, pray without ceasing. Nevertheless, I think likely what is in view here in Matthew is the Heavenly Father's goodness, not our persistence. It is God who gives. It is God who opens doors. Ultimately, it is God who defines what good things are. Did you notice that? The good things? He will give good things? What is it? How we define good? Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is good. There's a definition given to us by God himself from the Bible. In other words, it's more about God's providence and less about our persistence. I mean, right after Jesus commands us to ask, seek, and knock, what illustration does he give? He gives an illustration about a son and a father, right? Which one of you, if his son asks for him, you know, bread will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, some barramundi will give him a, a, a snake. No one would do that. How much more then will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? So when we approach God in prayer, we can't come to him as we would a reluctant stranger or someone who can be coaxed or bullied into giving us what we want or a malicious tyrant who takes sick joy in playing tricks on us or even some indulgent grandpa who just grins, provides everything that we want and ask. Oh, you want more ice cream? Here you go. He is the heavenly father who graciously gives us what we need. The truth is, when we approach God as a benevolent father, and that is in our mind, it helps us, especially when we don't get what we've asked for in prayer. What about those times? What about those times when you pray and it seems like a good thing, but God seems to be withholding it from you? How you respond in that situation depends on how you view God. If you believe he is truly a loving father, then you may not understand what's going on. But nevertheless, you can say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. This is not what I have planned. But I will trust you anyway. So often though, when things turn out differently than we hoped, we have a tendency to doubt that God is a loving father, don't we? That he is sovereignly and complete control of our lives, that he knows best and that he is watching over us. In prayer, you might not get everything you want, but the father provides the good that you need. You know, Paul the apostle had a thorn in his flesh. And it seems like he goes to the Lord asking, seeking, and knocking. He prays three times. God, take this thorn away from me. Which the answer was, nope. This one is gonna stick with you, Paul. 
this one not going to leave. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had to trust in his heavenly father that his thorn would ultimately be for good. That he serves a loving heavenly father. You know, I'm a dad, I have three kids, and I have a boy. And as a young boy, he is a growing young boy, and he's hungry all the time. Okay? I can't imagine when he's a teenager, right? He's going to inhale pizzas, you know? Send him to all your houses. Go eat, go eat there. Go to Uncle Ross's house. You know? Probably doesn't have any food there anyways. Yeah. You have the Tupperware for it, though. (laughs) So at least it's fresh, whatever you do have. So my son comes to me quite often, and he goes, Dad, Dad, I'm hungry. And he can't reach the faucet. We have a filter. He can't reach us. Dad, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. You know, okay, yeah, yeah, hold on. What, What do you want? What do you want? Always wants fruit can't really reach the fruit bowl, so he kind of climbs up and, you know, Dad, I'm hungry. But imagine if he comes to me and goes, Dad, I, I really, I want more than fruit. I, I want, I say, oh, okay, son, here, hold on a second. Let me grab something for you. Here, here, buddy. Hey, do you want some toast? You know? Here, you want, you want some bread? Yeah. And here you go, oh, yeah. Here you go, son, here, go ahead and eat it. Yeah, it's, 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 it looks like the bakery, but it's all nice and round, and it looks like we just went to Baker's Delight, doesn't it? You know, and he bites it. Oh, and, you know, it's a rock. <laughs> You thought it was you thought it was bread from Baker's Delight. <laughs> he chips his tooth. And I go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, son. I, and Dad, I'm still really hungry. Okay, all right, go on. And my son, oddly enough, loves fish. Like the the dude can barely eat anything, but he likes fish. Go figure. Okay. So I say, okay, son, here, come, come, here, here, you, come. I've got salmon for you. He loves salmon. All right, come. I've got some salmon for you. Ready? Here it is, it's under here. Brown snake! Ah! <laughs> Get him! Ah! Now what kind of dad would do that? That's, that? that's what Jesus is saying, is he not? Look, I'm a dad and I want what's best for my kids. Yet, if I, a self-centered and sinful man, can love my kids enough to sacrifice for their well-being, do I really think that God is any less than a father than I am? He loves and cares for his children. That's what's going on here in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The heavenly Father's love and care for his own far outweighs any earthly father. The Lord will never turn a deaf ear to his children. But if God is a benevolent Father, think about this, 
If God is a benevolent father who wants to give us good things, why does he have us persist in asking for them? Why ask then? The answer, I believe, lies more with us rather than God, really. The Lord wants to give us blessings, but our hearts have to be right, and so prayer actually aligns our hearts to receive what God wants to give us. In prayer, we learn to trust in the character of the Father. Let's say there's two girls who play soccer together on the same team, and they've played well all season, dominated in the playoffs, and now made it all the way to the finals. And because this is such a massive game, they want their dads to be there, to cheer them on. So both girls go home and each girl asks their dad, Dad, please, will you be at my game? This is such an important game, Dad. Dad number one, oh yeah, honey, I'll be there. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Dad number two, yeah, oh, oh I, you can count on it. I'll be there. Both dads say they'll be there. Game day comes, the whistle blows, they both look up to the stands. Neither of their fathers are there. They go all the way through the first half, but neither of their fathers can be seen. Finally, the game ends, and both dads never show. How do the girls respond? Well, one of the girls has a father who never kept his promises. He was always absent, only interested in his hobbies and his career. He was never there when she needed him. The other girl had a loving, dependable father who always was there when she needed him. Each of these girls are going to respond differently to that situation of not having dad there. The girl with the flaky father will say, I knew it. I knew it. I don't know why I get my hopes up with him. I knew he wouldn't come through. But the other girl who had the loving father said, I wonder what happened. Where is he? I hope he's okay. This is not like him. You see the different responses? All based on the image that they have of their father. The more that we are convinced that God is a loving father who cares for us, even when life doesn't make sense, the more we ought to align our hearts and to what's true about him. But that requires faith, does it not? In fact, there was a Scottish preacher who lived many years ago. Arthur Pink is his name. And he wrote a fantastic book, I highly recommend it, called The Sovereignty of God. And it talks about God's sovereign control and the things that he brings into our lives, how he's ruling the world, and how we have to have, need to have faith in him even when it doesn't make sense. Listen to this quote, and it'll come up here on the PowerPoint. He says, Faith endures the disappointments, the hardships, and the heartaches of life by recognizing that all comes from the hand of him who is too wise to err and too loving to be unkind. But so long as we have, are occupied with any other object 
then God himself, there will be neither rest for the heart nor peace for the mind. But when we receive all that enters our lives as from his hand, then no matter what may be our circumstances or surroundings, whether in a shack, a prison dungeon, or a martyr stake, we shall be enabled to say, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. But that is the language of faith, not of sight or of sense. And isn't that true? The Father is good and He decides on His timing what is best for us. How easy do we hijack verse 7 and 8 and not see that even though what we think is good, God has another good, which is ultimately a greater good. We need to trust the Heavenly Father. What if some of you that work with children or that had children or that you have grandchildren, what if they came up to you and said, Hey, Grandpa, Grandma, can I play with a, the brown snake in the backyard? Can I have a snake? What would you say? No. Depending on how rough you are, I'm like, no, you idiot, or, you know, whatever. But, like, <laughs> you might just say, no way. Well, well come on. Are you begrudging grandparent, begrudging dad, mom? They're asking for it. Give them the snake. They'll be happy. Well, at least for a couple seconds. <laughs> Why won't you give it to them? Well, because you know what's best for them, right? You know, if you gave them the snake, they could kill them. God is good and God is kind and God is gracious. He doesn't always give us what we want, even though it makes sense in our sinful minds that this is what we need. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what I have for you. That's not my will for your life. And oftentimes it's only in hindsight that we're able to see those things and say, thank God he doesn't give us what we asked for. If you ever write down your prayers, which I encourage you to do, try look at prayers from 15, 20, 30 years ago and you want, wow, thank God you didn't answer my prayer about that. I had no idea what I was doing, no idea what, wow. Glad you didn't answer that prayer. But it's only in hindsight. Hindsight's often 2020 that we're able to look back in the rearview mirror and see God's providential hand on our life. But in the time, it stinks. And it's not fun. And we don't understand. But we're to trust the Heavenly Father in those moments, you see. We're to trust. I know my wife and I have had to experience this quite a lot in the last year and a half. God, what on earth are you doing? We pray and pray and pray. Here we are, arriving in Brisbane for the rest of our lives, which is a different, it's a different country up there called Queensland. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but country bumpkins up there. Hopefully they're not listening to this. Sorry, guys, I love you, Grace Bible. Month later, hey, guess what? Uh, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah, you can't be here because of immigration, all the stuff that, you know, I never, the church didn't see coming, we didn't see coming. And in God's providence, 
Here we are, exactly a year from today where I was candidating for this position. And I, I bewitched you all to voting 100% in favor of calling me. I think it was because I sang the national anthem. And how good and kind of the Lord to orchestrate all that. And for now, in this season, this is where God has us, and we're grateful for that. But I tell you what, in the midst of that, do you think we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, this is all, I can see how, I had no idea. I didn't even know, I, sorry, I didn't ever hear of Wyoming Church of Christ. I had no idea. I didn't know who the Shaws were. See, because sometimes we're in this world and we kind of like, well, this is our world. I had no idea all these things. And God was kind to the Shaws, who are here, by the way. Hi, Shaws. God is kind to the Jenner family. And God is kind to you. In so many ways, I'm just giving an example of my life, okay? And it may not be happily ever after, by the way. We may still, in the province of God, still have to pick up and go because the government gives us the boot or whatever. But in that moment, my wife and I trust in the goodness and kindness of the Heavenly Father. God is kind. God is good. He will not give you a snake. He will not give you a stone. Some of you, some of you are here this morning and you've been asking, you've been seeking, and you've been praying. But some of you, your greatest need this morning we've been talking about the Father, is actually become a child of God. You say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we all God's children? We're all God's children. Yes and no. Yes in the sense that we're created. No in the sense that we need to be recreated. We need to be born again. The Bible teaches that the human race are actually, by nature, not the children of God. We are not in the family of God, and we do not naturally have God as our Father, given our sin. The Bible teaches that we are all sons and daughters of our first father, Adam, not God. And because we are all born in Adam, the Bible declares that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins, and by nature... Children of God's wrath. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then the only title, ultimately, that you have to your name is not child of God, but rebel against God. And listen, no amount of good works, righteous deeds, or continual prayer can get anyone into heaven. We are not good enough to have God as our Heavenly Father because we have all chosen sin over Him. And so if we cannot work our way into heaven, if we cannot earn our way into heaven, if we are not naturally born sons and daughters of God, how then can we be saved? The good news is that although you can never be good enough, Jesus is. He was the only perfect son of God. Jesus came as a human, fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life and died a sinless death on the cross. And by simply trusting in his death, not your good works, not your ability to live for him, not your ability to be a good person, but by trusting completely in the death of Christ and Christ alone, you can be considered righteous in God's sight. And when you trust in Jesus, 
The Bible says that God the Father looks at you as if you had been the perfect son or daughter of God, as if you had lived a sinless life because Jesus is in your place. All your sin laid upon Jesus and all of his righteousness laid upon you. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, the only way that you could ever have the privilege of calling God your father is by turning from your sin, putting your trust in Jesus to save you. And that can happen today. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can turn to Jesus today. Some of you think that you know Jesus. And I pray you'll be here the next few weeks because there's a frightening passage that says many come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And do you drive out demons in your name? And they'll say, I never knew you. Some of you are here and are under the illusion that you know Jesus because you have Christian friends or you've been coming here for 15 years. And 15 years ago, you came here and everyone was so lovely and friendly and welcomed you in. And hey, look, no one's gonna turn you away here. All welcome. I think we even put that up on there, right, Peter, a couple times on the, all welcome. That's a good thing. We want you here. Yes, but you never actually clothed with Christ. You never actually turned to Jesus. You never actually been born again. You can be today. You can be. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. No matter how dark your life is, no matter how many ways you've rebelled against God, you can turn to Christ today and have your sins forgiven. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old is gone and new has come. You can be crucified with Christ. The Bible says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You can come here, and yes, we'll love you, but our ultimate prayer, you can come here and be a part of this whole, yay, everyone's a church family, you can get a coffee afterwards. I've been coming here for 15 years, and you can still live and just sort of float along here and come to the Father, not as a child of God, but as a child of wrath. I don't want that for anyone in this room. That will be you if you don't turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin today. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that if there's those that are here that have not clothes with Jesus, that have not turned from their sins, Lord, that would you grant them faith now? Would your light shine in the darkness? Lord, we pray that we would continue to celebrate the reality that you sent your son so that we too could be sons and daughters of the king, of you, and that we would celebrate that now as we go to this time of communion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you do call God your Father,